What's up, everyone, and welcome to Season 1 of Unsportsman My Conduct. While you're on the road heading to the next tournament or trying to pass some time before lacing up the skates for practice, this is your podcast to tune in and listen on all things hockey. What's up, everyone? Episode 3 is an absolute treat. We're joined all the way from upstate New York by one of the best all-around hockey guys going in Mike Faulkner. Some people know him as Coach Foxy, others know him as Fozzie. He's an absolute beauty, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast. Mike played his youth hockey with some of the best players in the tri-state area and eventually moved all the way up the ranks to Division I hockey. Watching a kid from the Bronx be able to get to that level through his own hard work and determination is my definition of a Bronx Dale, and it's really been inspiring to watch from outside the glass. I'm excited to bring you guys this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This interview is brought to you by Butt Ends, the number one grip in hockey trusted by the pros since 2013. By now, you know how I feel about them. I rock the stretch grip, and they're awesome. They have a great feel, it's super comfortable in the palms of my hockey gloves, and it keeps me dangling. Also, a quick shout out to Rob and the rest of the guys over at Butt Ends. They've spent the past week or so in India, growing their brand in the game of hockey across the world. These guys are doing it right, it's great to see, and if you're interested in picking up one of their grips, use the code UNSPORTSMANMIKE2022 at checkout on ButtEnds.com. That's B-U-T-T-E-N-D-Z.com, and you can receive 20% off your order today. All right, Foxy, what's going on, my man? Good, good. Yourself? Not bad, man. Just uh, just hanging, watching some of the Olympics. It's kind of crazy. No, uh, no USA, no Canada. Even though there's no pros, it's an all-European semifinal for the men's side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, hopefully now, maybe going forward with the Olympics, maybe the NHL and everybody that's involved in that NC is that, you know, hey, we can't just – we can't just not send our, our top talent because, you know, even though some of these other teams and other others, national teams don't have their best, um, you know, they're still sending some pretty good pro players from their, their pro league. So if anything, I think it shows that the other pro leagues are maybe not catching up, but you know, they still have a bunch of talent over there, which is cool to see. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, we haven't seen pros since like 2012 and guys like McDavid, uh, you know, Jack Hughes, all these young, young guys are just not getting a chance to kind of showcase themselves at the Olympics, but hopefully the, uh, the girls can get it done tonight. Yeah. That's a big one on at uh, 11 tonight, I think. Yeah. 11, late one, 11, but. 11 PM. So, all right, let's dive on into the interview. So can you, um, can you give the listeners a quick bio of your playing career? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, grew up in the Bronx, New York, uh, just like yourself, um, playing roller hockey, uh, Waterbury, and Morris Park roller hockey. Um, grew up playing um, at the Ice Hutch for Pelham. Uh, that's where I started uh, ice hockey and then played a little bit of in-house hockey up at WSA, Westchester Skating Academy. Um, ended up going to the Vipers for a year. Played there with a bunch of, uh, bunch of great players and then ended up moving to the Westchester Express up in Brewster, um, playing for Dave Santini. Uh, played there for four years. I uh, really enjoyed my time there. Played with, again, a bunch of great players. Some of the players I play with in Pelham, guys like Will Cullen, Andrew Shower, who uh, who I think are local heroes in that area. Um, another couple guys, Nick Ferentino, Joe Wegworth, ended up playing pre-level hockey. Uh, Michael Espy, another guy. Um, then went to the Long Island Gulls organization, played a couple of years out there. Um, had some Had some great great memories there a lot of great players you know 
Ryan Hitchcock, Jeremy Bracco, Brandon Fortunato, Daniel Willett. Like there's, there's a laundry list of guys that played there that went on to play very high level hockey. Um, then went to Brunswick, uh, Brunswick school in Greenwich, Connecticut. So went, uh, went to prep school, played, uh, ended up playing about five years there, did an extra year there due to an injury uh, that I suffered in the middle of my high school career. Uh, then ended up going to the BCHL, uh, way out, way out uh, British Columbia. So went completely across the continent, played two years out there, loved my experience, met, met a lot of great people, really grew um, as a player, as a person out there, living with a billet family. And that was a great experience. Uh, ended up going Division Three um, to Hobart College, played for Coach Mark Taylor there, who's been there for over 20 years now, had some great great teams there great uh some of my best friends that i have and will have for the rest of my life are from there and uh now was fortunate enough uh, i guess one good thing that came out of covid was got to play one one more year and was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to come to niagara university to play division one hockey so that's where i'm at now i'm uh currently retired uh due to an injury but helping out with some coaching hanging with the boys and uh still having a great time so that's that's pretty much where i'm at uh right now it's, uh, it's quite the resume, but I mean, more important than any of that, the legendary nickname of Foxy. How did that come about? Uh, um, I think I, if I remember correctly, it was at uh, Playland during a uh, during a camp and maybe early August. Um, I was a I was a young, young buck at the time uh, with you guys there at Eric Nates and uh, legendary uh, Bill Salingo uh, Selkie. Um, I believe his was his nickname. I don't know if he's still still wearing that nickname, but that was his nickname at the time. And I think that kind of got thrown in the mix and uh, Foxy started. And that's kind of that's kind of where it's been. And I've it's kind of stuck, especially with Eric Nate's crew. So that's uh, that's where that stands. Absolutely legendary. And yeah, those um, those early August defensive skills and battling camps are are quite quite the treat. Uh, but yeah. from the from the boogie down Bronx, you know, like you mentioned before to Brunswick, all the way out in the BC and then to Hobart and eventually up to Niagara. Like I said, it's been quite a ride for you. Um, but can you talk about the adjustment of going from prep school hockey to one of the best junior hockey leagues in the country, you know, maybe for uh, some, some players that may be in your position now, can you kind of just talk about that adjustment? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a really, really difficult adjustment for me at first um, playing prep school hockey. I, I think it's, I think prep school hockey has made its strides in some areas, you know, especially the school that I played at Brunswick. We were, we were a good team at the time, but now they have, you know, a bunch of players that are staying in the area for at least a few years, you know, just seeing the commitments that are coming out of the, out of the school guys going to schools like North Dakota and um, you know, BC, BU, you know, that Harvard, that didn't really happen as much when I was there. Um, but like I said, it, you know, we had a good team and prep school hockey was, was pretty good at the time, but, you know, just, just going off of, you know, there are some games where, you know, we were, we were heavy favorites going into the games and maybe we were playing against competition that wasn't, it wasn't close to where we were at. And, you know, it was, it was a little bit easier. And then going out to the BCHL where there's, you know, there's no that, you know, there's no, there's no nights off of, you know, Hey, we're going up to play this team or they're coming in here and they're not very good. And you can kind of, kind of relax and, you know, joke around on the bench and have a good time. And, you know, in the BCHL, there was really none of that. Um, you know, there'd be teams struggling at times over the course of a, 
believe it's a 50, 58 game season. Um, and obviously there are teams that aren't, aren't, aren't doing too well every year, but you know, there's, there's great players and great skill on every team that played in there. I think there were 16 teams at the time. There might be more now, but yeah, that was a, that was a big adjustment, especially playing defense um, as a more of an offensive defenseman. I really had to, that's where I really kind of learned the defensive side of the game and really learned how important it was um, when, you know, when we were playing against guys like, you know, Tyson Jost at the time on Penticton, who's playing as a first round draft pick in Colorado, you know, he's out there, you know, pulling moves off that I haven't really seen before. So you get to play against guys that have, you know, insane talent, insane skill, and you really learn quick, um, you know, about gap control and how important skating is. And, you know, you think you're a good skater and then you play against guys like that and you realize that you got, you got some work to do. So, you know, that was a big, big adjustment for me at first. Yeah, I mean, that league, like you said, has just gotten better and better. I think there's actually another player from our area, actually, uh, Nurishel guy, Frank Jurasevich. He's actually playing for Pendictington as well. Uh, mm-hmm. if that's how you pronounce it. I mean, uh, but he actually just committed to uh, Merrimack. So that league is just loaded. I mean, it is one of the best leagues historically, and it's just pretty cool that you, uh, you kind of got to play there. Um, but speaking of college hockey, um, you know, how about the adjustment of going from NCAA Division Three when you were with Hobart uh, up to Division One. You know Hobart is often considered one of the best Division Three programs in the nation. Uh, honestly, the way I see them, they're just a step below D one, uh, if that. But you know, what was it like going from there uh, over to Niagara and playing at the D one level? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think my time at Hobart really, really um, was great, and I was very fortunate to have played there and loved my time there. And unfortunately, you know we didn't get to play our, our senior season, which we had a great, great team. And, you know, I think we had, you know, 10 or 11 seniors and uh, the junior class was also loaded with about seven or eight guys that were all played uh, every night. So, you know, we were, we were disappointed at first that we couldn't, couldn't really get that senior year, but, you know, as I said, it, it worked out where I got to get that extra year and took advantage to get my master's and play a, play a year at division one. But as far as the adjustment, I mean, again, like, it was kind of similar to my adjustment from prep school to junior where, you know, we were at Hobart, we were, you know, we were better than some teams that we were playing against. You know, it was, you know, the best way to say it is we just had more talent. We had more skill. Um, so we were able to get by some games, you know, if we didn't play our best, you know, we'd end up winning, you know, six, two, and maybe we didn't play great, but you know, we had, we had some difference makers that would make some plays and end up winning the game. So, you know, there were only really, you know, parts of the schedule where you we were really tested um and then jumping to division one again there's there's none of that you know there's no games where you can just you know go through the motions and there's no shift that you can go through the motions and i you know i i had to learn real real quick as my first two games were against north dakota and in north dakota um that you know this is this is a bit bit different and these guys are a bit better and you know, you really have to prepare, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of video work. It's a lot of knowing your systems, knowing where you're supposed to be, because if you're not, you know, they're going to take advantage. And I think uh, Tommy Green, who was on last, a former teammate of mine, uh, legend, legend himself, you know, he, he put it really, uh, really, uh, really well when he was talking about how, as you move up and up and up the, the, there's less room for mistakes. And you really, really have to be prepared every game and every shift because there are guys on the other end that are preparing 
So I think the preparation piece for me was big. You know, there's not just showing up to the rink anymore. It's, you know, when you go home, you got to be watching video. When you come to the rink, you got to be getting there early and you need to be staying late because if you're not doing that, um, you're going to be a step behind. So that's pretty much the biggest adjustment that I think I had to make. Gotcha. Lean, mean, Tommy Green, absolute, absolute legend. I talked about in my intro with him how he actually scored the first winning goal in King's College history, which is actually pretty cool. Um, You know, and obviously any college hockey goal at any level is special. uh, But what went through your mind when you buried that first career Division One goal this year? Uh, Well, I was I was kind of a little surprised it went in. To be honest with you, I came around the net and um, just kind of tried to throw it through the blue paint. I knew I had a couple guys coming towards the net and I went off the goalie stick, ramped up his arm and went in. So not really the, not really the nicest goal and surely not a goal that you think a defenseman would score, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was nice. I had my parents there, uh, for the game, which was great. Um, you know, they, you know, just like everybody else, I know, I know you as well, you know, your parents are just as much of a part of your career as anybody. And, they were there along the ride for every, every step that I had, whether it was youth hockey, high school, uh, junior Hobart to Niagara, you know, they were there for it all, you know, so just having them there for that game was, was great. And, uh, it was just such a, such a little weight off the shoulder just cause, you know, we had, we had played a, a good few games that, that far, that thus far and just getting the first one out of the way and just getting one on the board just to say that, you know, I, Hey, I, I got one in the net at that level it was it was a nice feeling and kind of kind of a little kind of I guess cooler that it was against a team that was a little bit closer to the area in Army West Point you know I got to play in that rink as a kid um, you know with the Westchester Vipers and um, yeah just just cool that you know it it eventually happened in that game and fortunately we didn't win that game but yeah it was a really cool cool experience uh, that you know I got to play at the level and then you know, got to score one, which, which uh, obviously is great for anybody. That's great. That's great. Your parents were there and I wasn't going to bring it up, but of course I was watching um, one of your biggest fans, but you know, I had to bring it up. I mean, you had that guy absolutely wide open back door. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny enough because I think over my career, I, the amount of times that I haven't shot the puck and passed it when I probably should have shot it. And then that guy was that was probably one of my easier assists that I could have picked up in the last five or six years. But, you know, it, it all, you know, I guess it all comes full circle. It goes in when I should have passed it, but yeah, yeah, it went in and I guess, I guess they don't ask how they just ask how many, and at least I got one better than oh, zero. Hey. So <laughs> well, hey, that's pretty cool. You got a division one hockey goal, man. A lot of players can't even say that. Um, but kind of going back to Tommy green. I mean, last episode, I talked to him from a coach's perspective. Um, about recruiting, but can you kind of reflect on your experience in Merritt and talk about how you got recruited there and eventually committed to Hobart, you know, for maybe from a player's perspective? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I was in high school, I, again, very fortunate to be at Brunswick, um, being a Bronx kid, didn't really know much about it, but ended up there and met a lot of great people and the, uh, the Esposito family um, and the Messier family. I'm sure people know through through hockey and being you know one of the best players of all time and their family was uh, connected with the BCHL and the the oldest of their boys uh, Luke Mateo, Luke Mark and uh, Mateo Luke was the oldest he's now playing in Bakersfield uh, in the AHL he was the first one kind of from that area to I think make that jump over there 
uh, one of the very few um, prep school guys. Um, and I think, you know, he paved the way for a lot of people and a lot of people, a lot of guys like me that wanted to go over there. And um, my best friend, Stefan Seeger, uh, who recently has retired as well, played a little hockey in Germany as well, for, uh, pro hockey, played in the OHL. Uh, he went over to Merritt, um, just kind of finished up one of his years. He was kind of bouncing around some teams and ended up in Merritt. And I was looking for a place to play in the BCHL. And he said, you know, hey, you got to go here. And I didn't really know anything about Merritt. Um, didn't know the team, didn't know the landscape, didn't know really anything all about it. Uh, but he told me, hey, you know, this coach has taken over. He's a great coach. You're going to love the team. You're going to love the boys. You know, the place isn't the nicest place in the world, um, but it's it's homey. And, you know, the people love, love the game. They love the team. And you're going to be supported there. And you're going to have a chance to grow. And kind of just took his word for it and ended up connecting with the coach went out for a tryout in uh, Abbotsford British Columbia um, in the middle of the summer ended up making the team out of that camp got asked to come back in August and yeah the rest was history that's kind of how I got uh, recruited out there but you know I think it's I think it's like a lot of people you don't get there without help you know there's a lot of people that you know without them I wouldn't have gotten out there if guys hadn't gone and paved the way if you know my my best friend hadn't played there I probably wouldn't have ended up there so, you know, a lot of, a lot of ducks have to fall in a row. And as long as you just, you know, keep doing the right thing and, you know, trust the people that you, that you're close with. Um, and I was fortunate enough that, you know, my, some of my closest friends had played out there. Um, Cause otherwise I don't know what league I would end up in. Probably wouldn't have been the BCHL, but very, very happy that I ended up there. Gotcha. Was, was Fiorentino there before you got there? Or did he end up after you were there? He, uh, uh, Nikki actually ended up there the same year I got there. So I, I didn't know that Nikki was going till um, we were playing summer hockey together in, uh, in Stanford and uh, Stanford twin rinks. And he asked me where I was playing. And he said that he heard from somebody that I was going out there and he called the coach and, you know, next day he heard back that he's going as well. So it kind of, kind of was funny. I, Nikki was one of those players that I, I played with at many levels. I mean, I started out playing, Westchester Vipers with him then we moved to the Express together and then we played in Merritt together you know all those years later so you know I played on three different teams with uh with Nicky Ferentino he's, he's quite the character and turned out to be one hell of a player too so yeah he was uh he was definitely one of the best players that we had on that team um just a force back there and yeah yeah real uh real character guy uh Nicky Ferentino he is an absolute character and I mean probably the best team that you've played with them Overall, I mean, the Mighty Pucks at the Isuch in the, uh, the summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. That was a hell of a team. So I know you just kind of touched on it, but, um, you know, for aspiring college hockey players who are maybe on the fence about leaving home to play juniors, uh, you know, you pursued an opportunity in a great league that was literally just under 3,000 miles away from the Bronx. You know, leaving home, playing in a different country, playing with the Billet family. Uh, but what, what would your advice be to players who are on the fence of, maybe pursuing a better opportunity to leave home um, than, than maybe staying around. Yeah. I mean, I think there is, there's something to be said for, for staying in your area and growing the game in your area. You know, like I know you played, you know, very obviously very high level junior hockey at the time with, with Apple Corps and then, you know, playing at NYU. So you stayed in the area and I think there's something to be said for that. And, you know, for the right, for the right reasons and the right people, that's, that's the best, best course of action. I think for me, um, going out to the BCHL was a, was a move that I chose based off of hearing that for my skill level and 
my player type, that was a good league for me. Um, you know, more of an open, open game, more of more room for offense for defensemen, which, which suited my game and was, was the best opportunity for me to grow my defensive game, but also to, you know, get recruited and, you know, put up numbers and that kind of stuff, which is important. Um, important for an offensive defenseman to be in a league that suits you. Um, but, you know, I think, I think overall my biggest takeaway from going so far away from home wasn't even hockey based, you know, it gave me a chance to grow. You know, I hadn't, hadn't moved away from home. You know, I'd been at home like a lot of people are till 19. Um, and, you know, I think that was a good chance for me to move away and grow up a little bit. You know, I wasn't living technically on my own, but as you mentioned, living with the billet family, having to be integrated into a family that's got a, a 10-year-old boy and a two-year-old daughter, um, you know, a newly new family pretty much and, you know, new people for me. And, you know, I was with them for two years, but they made me feel really at home. And, you know, I know people hear, you know, those nightmare stories about junior hockey and moving away from home and billet families, but I, I was fortunate enough where I had a really good situation. Um, and they're not all like that. And, you know, I've heard stories about other guys not having experiences that I had. So I'm, I'm very fortunate for what, what I had, but I think as far as that goes, I think as long as you do your due diligence and you don't just pick a spot on the map and, jump in your car and go there. You know, I think you, I think you definitely want to vet where you're going. Um, like anything else, like the college process, like the job process, I'm sure it's like anything, you know, you want to, you want to know who you're, who you're getting into bed with, so to speak. Um, and I think knowing your coach, knowing your area, knowing the people you're going to live with, I think having someone who had played there or plays there definitely helped, um, being that I knew what I was kind of getting into, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd highly recommend it for for guys in this area i think you know there's a lot of great talent in this area and i think it's a great league going all the way out there and um yeah i mean i would i would highly recommend it i think it gives you gives you as a player a chance to grow up more as a as a man being that you know you're you are playing away from home and you're you know if you have a bad game you don't have your parent there to say you know hey it's going to be okay you know you don't have you know you kind of have to do that stuff on your own you know, you have a billet family and, you know, yeah, we have all of cell phones now and you can call up people, but not going home to your own house. I think, you know, there were nights where I'd be like, you know, God, this fucking sucks. You know, I'm sorry, I'd curse that. Um, you know, and you don't have that and you kind of have to learn to live like that on your own. And I think that helps going into play college hockey because it's the same way that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, go going to play high level college hockey. And again, you're not, you're not, you're either in a dorm room or you're living off campus. So I think, I think juniors was kind of a really good prep for me um, moving into college about, you know, learning to live on my own and those types of types of experiences. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it is crazy how hit or miss some of these billet family stories are, but I mean, I know we've talked about in the past, I mean, you had a great relationship with yours and, and I'm sure that kind of, like you said, went on to help you as an overall player, uh, but also for, for aspiring college hockey players. Uh, can you talk about your day-to-day approach as a student athlete? You know, you got to experience it at, two different NCAA levels, you know, D3 and D1, which is just pretty cool. But, but I'm sure the approach didn't really change much, but can you kind of talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Um, I mean, Hobart, the way they structured it is I would have to take um, as a student athlete from your freshman year to your senior year, you are required to take, um, I believe it's at least three classes, but um, they make you take four just so you can graduate on time and all that. But yeah. So 
for me at Hobart, um, usually our practices would be in the evening, um, either at 4.45 or 8.15. So, you know, I know some, some teams, you know, guys practice in the morning. I think Tommy, Tommy on the last, uh, last call said they practice in the morning. Um, We weren't fortunate enough for that. I think practice in the morning is probably better just because you have the whole day then, but you know, we'd have class usually during the day. Um, My sophomore year, I actually had to take a class that ended up going to 445 on a Friday. So there were times where, you know, I'd be wearing my suit to the suit to the class and then running down to the rink um, when I was at Hobart for a, for a seven o'clock game to be there at five o'clock. Um, so you kind of have to work around your schedule, but it's a lot of planning, you know, it's a lot of planning and, you know, where some, some regular college kids get to, you know, just, you know, and, you know, sit back and, you know, play Xbox and that kind of stuff during the week. You don't really have a whole lot of time to do stuff like that. Once you're, once you're getting to a, a high level, high level school or, any, any college hockey for that matter, you know, you're practicing, you have your lifts, you have your schoolwork, then, um, you know, most classes you're going to have homework to do. You're going to have papers, you're going to have exams. And then, you know, you're going to be worried about watching other teams. You're going to be looking at video. You're going to be, sometimes you're going to have to travel on the road on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday, if you're going far away to play. Um, and then you're getting back late, late Saturday night. And then, you know, you got Sunday and then, you know, the week starting all over again. So, you know, for most, most schools, I think you're on the ice during season for, you know, at least five, if not six days of the week. And then you got, you know, two, three lifts in there and then you got schoolwork going all the time. So I think, I think time management, I mean, that's, it's pretty cliche to say and um, time management and, and just, you know, trusting, trusting your teammates too, you know, you kind of have to work together and, you know, when you're in the same classes together, you know, make sure that you're, you're coordinating with them and, you know, getting help from help from them and help from your professors. I think the, the guys that did the best academically um, and athletically were the guys that were coordinating with their professors the, the best. So I always tried to follow that. You know, if you got them in your corner and they, they want to come watch your games and they want to, they want to do all that with you, you know, sometimes they'll catch you a bit of a break um, in the grading process. So that's what I'd, I'd say is my, my biggest takeaway. Smoozing over the teacher, huh? And again, yeah, quick that's shout out. All you I gotta mean, do. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, quick, quick note. I mean, it's kind of crazy that my mom did teach you in first grade. It's kind of wild. Yeah. yeah that <laughs> shout is, out to City Island. Yeah. Uh, so when you look back on all of it, you know, if you did indeed play your last game, uh, what do you think you're most proud of as a player? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think when I was at, um, when I was le- obviously you know, playing Division One, that's what I always wanted to do, and I think that's where a lot of kids aspire to play. Everyone wants to play pro. Everyone wants to play in the NHL, but you know, you got to start somewhere. And I think, you know, getting to division one was great. Um, But, you know, as I was leaving Hobart and, you know, we have our awards ceremony and coach was talking, you know, about my career and, you know, I did well, obviously athletically. And, you know, we won, won some championships and, you know, got to a frozen four and all that was great. But, I think the most proud thing I was of um, throughout it was, you know, that he said that the biggest takeaway was, you know, what, what I was as a teammate um, and how much, you know, it, it showed how much that I cared about my teammates. Um, I think that really hit home to me because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to score, you're going to score goals. You're going to set up plays. You're going to win championships. But I think the guys that you remember the most are the guys that were, were good teammates. You know, obviously points are important, but you know, you don't want to be the guy that guys remember of, you know, oh, he was always looking for, you know, points or if, you know, the team won five, five, four, and he didn't get a point, you know, he was pissed. Um, and I think, you know, I tried to be the complete opposite of that. Um, you know, it didn't matter what, what I had on the stat sheet at the end of the night, obviously everyone wants to score and everyone wants to contribute, but you know, if, if it wasn't my night, you know, I didn't, I didn't try and take it away from somebody else. So I think that's, that's the one thing I'm most proud of is that I think, I think I did a pretty good job of that. And that's, that's a lot of what people, you know, instilled in me at a young age, you know, my parents talking to me about how important it is to be a good person, be a good teammate, you know, guys like yourself and Rob and Eric and Tim, you know, guys like that, you know, really instilling in me, you know, that it's, it's about hard work and it doesn't really, doesn't really matter, you know, about a lot of the other stuff. You just got to work harder than the next guy. And I think that's, that's something I always tried to do. And um, yeah, I mean, being a good teammate, being a, being a good person away from the rink is what I really tried to try to do. So connecting with the hockey career, just being a good teammate, being a good, good guy for the team. That's really what I'm most proud about. That's awesome. And I, I mean, I just know firsthand, I mean, how much, um, you know, your coach at Hobart thought about you because I, I would pick up the phone and call him for certain players I was coaching and just kind of, you know, pick his brain a bit about what he thought. And he knew that I knew you and he'd always say, well, well, what does Mike think about him? You know? And, and I, it's kind of funny. A lot of times I talk to him as a coach and then he just hang up the phone and probably go look and seek out your opinion on some of the guys in our area. So for, for a college coach to have that much trust in a player when it comes to kind of recruiting for the next level, I mean, it just, I think that speaks volumes about the player that you uh, became in those, in those four years at Hobart. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, but what's next for Foxy, man, you know, are you going to stick around the game? I know you're graduating this, um, this spring, but what's next? Yeah. Um, so like I said uh, earlier, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of coaching here, doing a little bit of video work um, with the, with the guys on the team, just helping out with some special teams on the power play, not as much on the penalty kill, uh, <laughs> but uh, more, more on the offensive side of the game, but yeah, just doing a little bit of that. And, you know, I thought about getting, think about getting into coaching. Um, you know, I think I'd like to, you know, I know Tommy's coaching college. I think I'd like to find if I were coaching, I'd like to find something similar to that where I'm, you know, I'm coaching good level college hockey and try to work my way up. Um, also looking at some other, some other avenues, uh, currently working with this, uh, with this group, uh, called shift group. Uh, they have, they also have a podcast, um, next shift, just kind of talking about, talking to former players about former NHL players as well. Um, just about what they're doing after hockey and what they're getting up to and might get into something uh, in sales uh, with them. Uh, they've been helping me trying to coordinate with some stuff like that. So might do something away from the game. I do might do something um, in the game, but definitely I've always enjoyed uh, coaching, whether that's been uh, with you guys, with Nate's or Soundshore. Or, uh, now, you know, being, being able to still be emotionally invested in the games um, has been nice being that, you know, not playing isn't easy. It's a lot, lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, didn't think I was going to miss it this much, this quick, but still being able to go to the games and still in the locker room and I'm still emotionally invested has helped. Um, so it's definitely, definitely altered uh, my decision-making a little bit. So yeah, love, would love to coach. I'd, 
I think uh, I think I would have to probably take it take it uh, one step at a time in the decision process. But yeah, kind of would have to see what's out there, and um, that's pretty much where I'm at on that. That's cool, man. I actually speaking of Soundshore, I found a picture the other day because uh, I don't know if you remember Louis Marcelino, uh, the little mm-hmm. 2005. He yep. scored his 100th goal, uh, 100 point for Pelham the other night, and I actually found. I cropped it out, but I found a picture of that Soundshore team that we had up in Shelton, and it was pretty cool. It was me and you coaching those guys that weekend, and just some of the guys in that picture, man, like they're going up, they're kind of turning into some good players, and it's just pretty, pretty cool to look back. And I, I know you had an impact on them, you know, back then as still a college hockey player uh, coaching. So I mean, if it's coaching that you decide to do, you know, I think it'd be great. Um, but whatever you end up doing, man, I mean, I wish you the best of luck and, and thank you for, for popping on the podcast here. I think this is probably one of my uh, more, uh, more favorite episodes up to date so far. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, that, that 2005 group was a, was a hell of a group with, uh, with Nicholas on the back end. He wasn't really playing much defense, but it was kind of <laughs> nice to just have him back there and he kind of would grab the puck and just, <laughs> kind of take it end to end when we needed a goal. So that was, that was nice to have him back there. Yeah. Good group, man. Good group. All right. But, uh, but again, man, thanks for popping on and uh, hopefully we talk to you soon. Of course. Yep. Thanks for having me on Mike. Hi man. Have a good one. Well, there you have it guys. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Mike, the Foxy Faulkner, as much as I did, as you can tell, he was a great player, a great kid, and it's no secret as to why he wore letter at both the prep school and collegiate level. Furthermore, it's no secret as to why after having his playing career ended abruptly due to injury, a Division I coaching staff welcomed him aboard with open arms to help out as a student assistant. I hope to have him back on the podcast in the near future. Until then, see you guys next time. Before we wrap up, I wanted to let you all know that there is still some time to shop the Coach Wits Dangle Special over at Ustoked. Our listeners can find a private link on the Unsportsman Mike Instagram and Twitter pages to receive 37% off a three-pack of their eco-friendly stick wax and free shipping on all orders over $30. I use their wax every time I retape my twig. It's tacky and it keeps the hands buzzing while actively helping our environment each time it's applied. Do it clean and head over to ustoke.com to place your order today. That's Y-E-W-S-T-O-K-E-D.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when the next one drops on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay out of the box.